Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> How are y'all doing? You guys survived the turkey fest. You slept and you got all the, what is it, tryptophan out of your system and you're back at church. So happy to see all of you. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here at NCC. Um, you will notice things look or seem a little bit different this morning. We've had some challenges. So please give it up for our creative team because they have scrambled. And I've uh, gotten everything together this morning. And I say it's not an accident. This is our last week of our series that we have been going through that is called God Has a Name. Okay, and, and back in college, I went to Bible school. Um, my husband, Aaron, we met at Bible school. And when I got to my second year, even though I was an education major, we all had to take Bible classes too. We still had to get a minor in Bible. So I was in this practical theology class, and we had to choose five topics to write different papers for throughout the semester. And even though I'd grown up in church, there was a topic that still was kind of odd to me, and I didn't quite understand. And that was... Like, who is Satan and demons and these other, like, powers that float around and we kind of read about and hear about? And so I went to my professor and I said, hey, I think I want to do a paper on Satan. And he was like, okay, <laughs> let's have a conversation. Um, and he, actually, he said, actually, um, you, you wouldn't do that. You'll do a paper on um, angelology, which is our understanding of angels. And he said, because technically, um, Satan was an angel. And I'm like, what? Like, I've grown up in church, and I've never heard this before. And so this started my study into these other different beings in the scriptures. And so these last few weeks, we've been talking about how God has a name. And why does God need a name? Well, because in the Bible, they have this term, especially in the Old Testament, and it's Elohim. And Elohim is this category of spiritual beings. And you might have, in your church experience, heard Elohim used as a name of God. I, I thought I had. Um, but Elohim is actually not a name. It's a category. If you think about it like this, think about it like mom, okay? Um, if, if you've ever been in Walmart and heard someone say mom, and like 20 women all turn their heads, right? Because um, you hear mom, and it's a category. There's, there's moms. But then we can also, when my kids say mom, they're referring to me specifically, right? And so that's kind of how Elohim is. Elohim is this category of spiritual beings, and God, Yahweh, has a name. He is the Elohim of Elohims. He is over all spiritual beings. And so this week, we are talking about the other spiritual beings. Fun, right? Now, I want to I clarify something. These other spiritual beings, they don't deserve um, much attention. In fact, what we're going to discover is that they were created to actually divert our attention to God, to Yahweh. But they're important. It's important that we discuss and understand them because this is a really important part of our lives. It's an important part of the reality of the world that we live in. And so we're going to dive right in in the very beginning. You guys know I love to start in Genesis. I feel like almost every message that I speak here at NCC, I end up starting in Genesis. It's, there's just something there. So we're going to start um, in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And if you um, have a phone, you have a tablet, you have a way to interact personally with scriptures in your pocket, in your hand, in your bag, grab it. And even though the scriptures are going to be on the screens, we want to engage with the scriptures because scripture shapes our lives. And so we want to just not just be doing that as a group, but also individually. So we're going to start way at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And here's what it says. In the beginning, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of Yahweh was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so pause. So what we see there is that there is chaos, disorder, darkness, and God, Yahweh, comes and he brings order and light to the chaos, right? And then if we just skip over a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Elohim Yahweh had made. He said to the woman, Did Yahweh actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Okay, so here at the very beginning, we see the, this other spiritual being that inserts itself into God's story, right? And this spiritual being is obviously in opposition to Yahweh, to our God, okay? He says, uh, you will not surely die, but um, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So from the very beginning, these, these beings that God created, these human beings that were created to reflect his character, they are diverted from their purpose by this other spiritual being. Now, I, I love, like, if you, if you read this and you kind of go, hmm, it seems like there's more to the story that I'm not picking up here because it says serpent, but it sure seems like something else is going on there. That's not any normal snake, right? It's kind of like this. I love one author makes this parallel. Any Star Wars fans out there? Okay, if you're not aware, when you watch Star Wars and there's that like flat series of script that's like flying at you at the very beginning, that's called the crawl. You learn something new every day. Uh, that's called the crawl. And so it's kind of like in Star Wars, when you're dropped in, at the very beginning of the movie into this. Just imagine you're sitting there and you hear, it's a period of civil war in the galaxy. A brave alliance of freedom fighters has challenged the Galactic Empire. What? <laughs> Who are freedom fighters? What's the Galactic Empire? And why is there civil war? Do we ever learn any of these things? I mean, some of it you're going to learn. And so you're kind of dropped into the middle of this story in Genesis, right? And you can tell there's other things going on, but you don't know the full story. Well, it's revealed throughout the rest of Scripture. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about these other Elohim, these other spiritual beings, the role that they were designed to play, and where we see them at work in the Scripture. Okay, now why does this even matter? Why does it matter that we acknowledge and we understand that there are these other spiritual beings? Well, because we continue to see them do the same thing that the serpent did at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, to distract, to dehumanize, to create mayhem. Basically, these rebellious spiritual beings are trying to drag the world back to the very beginning, that chaos and that disorder. And God is continuing to draw us into his order and into the way that he created us to be. And so over the course of the remainder of Genesis, we see human beings start to partner more and more with these other spiritual beings who enslave them and cause them to do some pretty jacked up stuff, um, things that are really harmful. Create, they create war, of course, murder, um, paganism, there's human sacrifices, there's all kinds of mess that's going on. But Yahweh finds a man, a man named Abraham, and he calls him out 
of all of these other things that are going on out of the evil places to create a nation of his own, a nation of people who will reflect the character and the values of Yahweh, of God. Okay, And so if you flip over to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and verse 2, if you look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, Yahweh is giving his newly rescued people um, the guidelines for living in this fallen and broken world. Uh, and what is the first rule that he wants them to live by? Exodus 20 verse 2 says, I am Yahweh, your Elohim, your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, you must not have any other Elohim but me. Now, a lot of times we kind of disregard this verse. Like, um, you know, yeah, there's no other gods, so why would I have another god? Because you're the only god. Well, notice he doesn't say false gods, false Elohim. He acknowledges these are real spiritual beings that have real power and want your worship. They want your attention. And God is saying, you belong to me, worship me alone. This is the first rule of following after him and reflecting his character and his values. I love Charles Baudelaire says, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. So when we walk around and we ignore and act like there are no other spiritual beings, uh, we are ignoring a big chunk of reality. Because even though this is a little uncomfortable, it is true. We, we don't live according to how we feel, right? We don't live according to what we think. We live according to Scripture. Scripture is the ultimate authority of what is true and real and is how we live our lives. Now, maybe you've never had this experience, but in college, um, when I was going to Bible college, I had a sister who lived here in Dallas. And um, she was really into Wicca, and witchcraft, and all kinds of dark stuff. I don't know if any of you have had any experience with this stuff. I, I didn't. Um, but I would go to her house for the weekend to stay the night, and I could never sleep in her house. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't know what was going on there, but there was something there. Have you had this experience? Have you been somewhere or been around certain people and you're like, something was not right there and it gave me the heebie-jeebies or whatever and you felt, that's because it was real. That wasn't because you were emotional or you just kind of fell off. It's because there are real other spiritual things working around in our world, and we need to be aware of those. And so we're going to go into the scripture and see what does the scripture teach us about these other spiritual beings, all right? So here's the first thing that we learn from scripture. These are supporting characters in God's story. They are supporting characters in God's story. What does that mean? That means they are not the main meal, okay? They are not the dessert. They are supporting characters. They are not worthy of our time and attention or us to go looking after these things, okay? These are just spiritual beings that were created to support God's mission and purpose. Yahweh is the Elohim of Elohim. He is the only spiritual being who was never created. He has created all things, um, and Aaron, Aaron has been sharing about this the last few weeks. If you've missed a week, I encourage you to go back and look at what we've been learning as we dig into who God is and what his name means, the Trinity, the power of the Spirit, of who Jesus was, and all of those things and how they flow together. He is the main character and is the one worthy of our worship and attention. Amen. Amen. Um, now, Yahweh does, we see through Scripture, share his power and his authority and his gift of creation with others. He shares it with us. 
We are human beings who were made in his likeness. We have the ability to create, create good things, create not so good things, okay? And we also see in scripture that he has shared that power and authority with other spiritual beings as well. So we also learn, second, they have specific roles to play. These spiritual beings have specific roles to play. Now, I'm going to throw some images on the screen of what you may consider or have thought about as the spiritual or the roles that these spiritual beings could play. I don't know about you. In the 90s, when I was in high school, there was this whole craze with the, I had to look them up because I couldn't remember the name, dreamsicles. Do you guys remember these? Little angel figurines, if you'll put those images up there. Um, So like people got real into angels in the 90s and there were angel pictures everywhere. My mom has a whole curio cabinet full of these little angel figurines. It looked so cute. A little chubby bit. Look at him. He's so adorable. And like for a lot of us, that's what we picture when we picture an angel. Some of us picture this. We picture, okay, an angel on one shoulder and a little red devil on the other side. And that's what we think of when we think of these spiritual beings. But the truth is very different. And so the first role, very clear role that we see some of these spiritual beings playing is they are angels. They are angels. Angels are real. In Genesis chapter 18, we see three angels appear to Abraham. In Daniel chapter 10, we see an angel appear to the prophet Daniel. Okay, Um, Luke chapter one, of course, the angel delivering a message to Mary that she's going to have a baby. We see angels all throughout the scriptures. An angel literally means messenger, messenger. Okay, so here's here's one thing we're going to knock out. Angels, sorry, do not have wings. We never see them have wings in scripture. Angels actually look kind of like people, but super scary. So everyone that sees or encounters an angel in scripture is like freaking out and either running away or sometimes they try to bow down to these angels and the angels always say, no, 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 don't, don't worship me. I'm here as a messenger giving you a message, okay? So they look like a man. They have power in our world. We know that they are on the case. They're like God's secret agents. So they come around, they do stuff. In the New Testament, we see them breaking Peter out of prison. So they have some sort of power that can be used in our world to protect and to fulfill whatever God's mission on earth is. And they always refuse human worship. They don't want our attention. They don't want us looking for them. They don't want us walking around going, oh, maybe that was my guardian angel. They don't want us praying for them or to them. They always divert attention back to the one true God. Those are angels. Now, we also have cherubim. And cherubim are very different. And it is kind of funny because if you look up cherub online, you're going to get those pictures. Cute little chubby babies with cheeks, you know, that are adorable. But cherubim are actually pretty scary. So if you look at them in the scriptures, cherubim, the first time we see them is right after the scripture we were just reading in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God places cherubim at the Garden of Eden entrance to keep people out. So they are guardians. These are fearful creatures. They do have wings. They typically have multiple forms of like animals. So they had like the head of a lion and the body of a bird. They have these different forms um, that we see, but they're always pretty scary. And they're always guarding something on behalf of the Lord. All right. 
So one of the places we do see them as well, that this is really cool. If you look up the Ark of the Covenant, right, we see that God, um, as he's calling his people out, the, the laws that he's giving them that I was referencing earlier, the Ten Commandments with Moses, he gives them a symbol of his presence called the Ark of the Covenant. And they build this box and they overlay it with gold. And at the top of the box are cherubim. There are these creatures that have wings that stretch out and meet in the middle. And that is because they, they repeatedly say the cherubim are like the footstool of God's presence. And so it's like they carry God's presence. In fact, um, one translation says that it actually is translated as the living chariot of Yahweh that they carry God's presence. And so it was believed that God's presence sat on the top of that Ark of the Covenant, and that's where we see the cherubim, okay? Then in one place, we see seraphim, only in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees this vision of the throne room of God, and he describes these fiery ones with six wings. Seraphim literally means fiery. If you look it up, it's like they believe it was some kind of fire-like, serpent-like creature that has six wings, um, and they attend Yahweh. Their voices were so powerful, they shook the temple. And we never see these spiritual beings again, and so it's understood generally that they live in the heavenly realm. They do not interact with the earthly realm at all. They are living in that presence of God. And then we see the spiritual being that drew me into this whole uh, discussion back in college, which is the Satan. And I'm saying the Satan intentionally because Satan is not a name. It's a role. Um, and so if you look at Job chapter 1, verse 6, Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now, this is a puzzling section of scripture. And if you've read this before and you've scratched your head and gone, God, I do not get this. You're okay. You're, you're in good company because it's a difficult thing to understand. But here's what we do see. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, Yahweh, and the adversary, that's the Satan, the adversary also came among them. And the Lord said to the adversary, from where have you come? The adversary answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And so we see here that this adversary is interacting with God, that the Satan is interacting with God. In fact, God has command over what he can and cannot do, what he does and does not do. In Matthew chapter 16, you see him interacting and you see where uh, basically he it gets into Peter's thoughts enough where Jesus directly rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter's speaking out things that are not true. And so we know that the Satan has this kind of authority and this way of interacting. But as far as who he is or it is, we see some other scriptures I'm going to throw out to you. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. And Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. Now, these messages from prophets were to two human kings, um, but they're referencing this principle that we see in Scripture, which is behind most really destructive, awful people is some sort of dark spiritual being that operates and puppets them and gets them to do certain things that are destructive and, again, drawing us back into the chaos and disorder that was at the very beginning of time. And so some theologians, they believe from these scriptures, we see that there was this fall of this spiritual being, an angel, 
who belonged to the Lord, who worshipped, they believe, some theologians believe, was the worship leader in heaven, but decided he wanted to be on a throne, and he wanted to have beings worship him. And so he was thrown out of heaven, and this is who the adversary, the Satan, the devil is. Devil means accuser. It's a, it's a term used in the New Testament to reflect this same being. So he's described in many ways as an angel of light, a dark desert creature, a snake, a sea dragon in the Psalms. Um, not a name, not a red-horned guy with a pitchfork, um, but a, fear, a fearful creature, a spiritual being. And he is not the opposite of God. He is an adversary. In fact, his enemy, and, and if you look in the book of Job, it's not that the Satan is an enemy of God. He's an enemy of Job. And that's how this is. This is our enemy, not God's enemy. God has control over all these beings. Um, so not the opposite, just against everything. Now, you might ask, and you might have heard about demons, and what are demons? Demons are on the list because demons are just fallen spiritual beings, other angels that have decided to rebel and do their own thing as well. All right? So that's what Scripture teaches us about these people, but here are these spiritual beings, but here is what we need to remember. All right? Yahweh is the only spiritual being worth our time and attention. God is the only spiritual being worth our time and attention. Now, I, again, I grew up in a church, and I grew up in even in Bible colleges around different people who felt like we're always looking for these kinds of dark spiritual presences. They were going around, you know, like looking for angels or looking. That is not what we see in Scripture. God is the only one worthy of our pursuit. He's the only one we are looking to. And when we get distracted by looking for these other things and always looking over our shoulder, we are not focused on the only one who is worthy of our time and our attention. He is the one that is worthy of our worship. In fact, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, this is after the, the people are delivered out of, of uh, Egypt, and it says, Who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? In Psalms, we see that every other spiritual being must bow to Yahweh. Psalm 97, 7 says, Those who worship idols are disgraced. All who brag about their worthless Elohim, for every Elohim must bow to Yahweh. So when something is pulling your time and your attention away from God, there is probably something else at work there. And it doesn't mean those things are bad. It just means that when you have a desire that is only meant to be met by time with God, by being in God's presence, by him alone, and you're meeting it with something else, you're being distracted. You're being pulled away from the only one, again, who is worthy of our time and our attention. These other spiritual beings, the fallen, the rebellious spiritual beings, their goal is to distract us, to keep us away from a relationship with our creator, to make the world a broken, broken place. Here's the second principle we learn. Our real enemy is never human. Our real enemy is never another human. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look, I know this feels uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels very uncomfortable in our modern world that we feel like we're so far beyond these principles. Like it was easy to understand people way back before technology that they would think there were these other spiritual things flying around, but we're beyond that. No, we are not. We are just more arrogant. We are just more prideful in our knowledge. It is foolish for us to believe 
that with everything going on in our world today, only humanity has done this. Behind all the brokenness in our world, there are spiritual forces at work. And we don't go to fight a spiritual battle with physical things. That means when we see division and brokenness, we don't go to Facebook. We don't start fighting with our family or our friends or our neighbors. We get down on our knees and we ask God to help us in this battle that we are in where there is brokenness in our world and division in our world among one another. When humans are hurting one another, there is something wrong there. And it is not just within us. It is outside of us as well. Last week, I walked into my room and Aaron was sitting on the side of the bed, my husband Aaron, and he was just praying and I saw tears running down his face and I'm like, are you, are you okay? And he said, yeah, you know, this verdict just came out in this murder case and um, I got a bunch of friends that were all texting about it and um, I said, yeah, you know, I saw that and I know there's people on both sides and he said, yeah, but it's just broken It's just brokenness of humanity, and it should break our hearts. And I thought I was so convicted and challenged because I took a political stance. I started digging into the news articles and the facts and like, well, who's right and who's wrong? And Aaron's posture was to get on his face before God and say, Jesus, help us because our world is broken and people are hurting one another And we cannot fix this on our own. There is no politician, there is no preacher that can fix this. God, it has to be you. Our enemy is never another human. Our last thing that we learn from the scriptures is through Jesus, we can help build God's kingdom on this earth. Through Jesus, we can help build God's kingdom on earth. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 says this. Now Jesus, he came to his disciples and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is good news. This is good news. We were created to live in Eden, a place where earth and heaven overlapped and we could be in the presence of our creator day in and day out. But each and every one of us has chosen to rebel. Every single one of us. We have chosen to do things our own way, to put ourselves on the throne of our own heart and our own lives and to live the way that we want to live. And we have invested in the brokenness in our world. But Jesus, the son of God, the son of the creator, came to this earthly realm, took on human form, and he won the battle against sin and against death. He took all the consequences of all of our sin and our mess upon himself. Even death could not beat him. And when he rose again, And he came back to us. He said, you don't have to live this way anymore. You are no longer slaves. 
all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so now you carry that, carry that power and authority. Build my kingdom here on earth. Make it a better place. All the way back from the beginning in Genesis, when there was chaos and disorder, I came and I created order and love and light. Now go and do the same. And when we follow Jesus, we have the ability to build his kingdom on earth. And what does that look like? It looks like us taking that humble form of a servant. It takes us, it looks like us taking on the, the heart of Jesus and coming and, and being humble, loving and serving one another of recognizing that we are not the only things, the only spiritual beings walking around on this earth. When Jesus came back to life, not just physically, but spiritually, he passed that gift on to us. We're no longer slaves. We are a new humanity. And guys, right now more than ever, when our world looks like this, the church is the example of what people are designed, what real humanity is designed to look like. Love, a common unity. That is what community is. That we set aside the differences and we come together with the purpose that God has given to us. It's like the videos of colorblind people. Have you seen these? Videos of people who are colorblind and then they're given these special glasses and they're able to to see the world as it is for the very first time. That's how it is when we come to Jesus. We start to see things in a different light. And when we see division and we see brokenness and we see people hurting one another, we know there is more to this story. I'm getting down on my knees and I'm praying, God, help us and make me part of the solution. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. You might be here, you might be hearing my voice this morning and you might not have surrendered your life to Jesus. You might still be sitting on that throne in your own heart, doing things your own way. And there is a better way to live. There is a better humanity for you. If you surrender the controls to Jesus, if you surrender your life to Jesus and say, Lord, have your way. And so if you wanna pray that prayer with me this morning, and it's more than a prayer, it's a decision that you have to make and walk out with, but let's start with prayer. Let's start with humbling ourselves. Just repeat this prayer after me. Everyone in the room, everyone listening online. Jesus, I come to you. You are my savior. You are my king. I need you in my life. Please forgive me for doing things my own way. I surrender to you. All the control, all my decisions, all my choices are yours. Have your way in my heart. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Will you guys just put your hands together for people who prayed that prayer this morning? And I do want to pray one more prayer. I want to pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Because I do really believe that there are times, you guys, that we have partnered with these rebellious spiritual beings causing brokenness in our world. And we don't realize what we're doing. We just think we're putting another post online or we're just gossiping about our neighbor or we're just cutting someone down at work, but that is not all that is going on. 
And as followers of Christ, we need to ask for God's forgiveness and we need to ask him to humble us. The Bible says if his people, right, who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray, then he will heal our land. He'll restore and we are to play that role. And so if you would, if you just open your hands with me this morning, open your hands up to the Lord and just pray your own prayer. God, I pray this morning. God, we are your church. We are your nation called to reflect your values, your kingdom here on earth. Please forgive us, Lord for the times we've been arrogant, the times we've been rebellious in our hearts, that we have tried to solve a supernatural problem with some kind of natural solution where we've thought that we, God, could be the solution when you and you alone are the one who can restore and heal. Lord, help us to take your challenge seriously, to make disciples. You have called us, Lord, to show people your way of living in this new humanity, in this new kingdom. Help us, God. Humble us, Lord. Challenge us to reflect you to a watching world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.